0: Kids at this time are dismissed to to Children's Church. Take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, open up to Romans uh, chapter 5 this morning. We're in Romans chapter 5. We're going to be in verses uh, 6 through uh, 11. Romans 5, 6 through uh, 11. Listen then uh, to the word of God. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we shall also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray this morning. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we just come this morning and ask that you would speak to us from your word uh, that we would hear what you have to say. We thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we ask that the Holy Spirit uh, would be at work in our hearts. Give me the, the words to say. May it come with uh, clarity. May Jesus Christ uh, be lifted up as we think of all that he has done for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Uh, I don't know about you, but when a war ends... You want there to be peace and you want there to be uh, a lasting peace. That's the whole purpose of of bringing a war to a close and making some sort of treaty. And you think down through history and the amount of wars that have happened and some uh, ended with a uh, treaty that ended the war for good. Uh, you think of World War Two and how we were able to put the ha- past behind us and Germany was eventually rebuilt. And of course, it, uh, Japan was rebuilt. Of course, it did lead to the Cold War. But you also think about World War One and the Treaty of Versailles. And you think about uh, just if you know a little bit of your history, how the actual treaty and how they put particularly all the blame of the war uh, on Germany The actual Treaty of Versailles is one of the contributing factors that led to World War II. It, it was a peace that didn't last. It was a treaty that, that ultimately, and I realize the next war was, was a decade or more later, uh, but it was a treaty that actually led to another war. And what good is reconciliation? What good is an ending of hostilities? What good is Peace if it doesn't last. We're in a passage of scripture that talks about because of Jesus Christ's work, we have peace with God. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But what good is peace if it doesn't last? If it's only a temporary peace, it does us no real eternal good. If it's only something that gives you peace of mind for this life, it really doesn't accomplish the salvation that we need. We need to understand that when we have peace with God, it is something that is not only Now, our present status as the redeemed, as those who have been saved and put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is something that also lasts for all eternity. We will pass through the judgment of God at the end of the age and not have to fear the wrath of God. War will not break out again between us and God if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So our main point this is, is this this morning, we are reconciled to God because Christ died while we were enemies of God. And the basic idea is if Christ did this for us while we were enemies, how much more certain can we be that the salvation that we have now will last because of the work of God? In other words, if God in Christ did all of these things for us while we were already enemies, now that we have peace, how much more can we be assured of the certainty of the blessings that await us for all eternity? We're going to move through this passage in three stages. First, this morning, Jesus Christ died for us while we were ungodly and sinners. We need to understand What God did for us in Jesus Christ to bring an end to the hostilities. What it took to end the war. Jesus Christ died for us while we were ungodly and sinners. So, Christ died for the weak and ungodly. Look at verse 6. While we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Weakness here is not a category of physical strength, but I think a moral category. We were weak. We could not save ourselves. We were sinners and, and powerless to do the things necessary for a right relationship with God. If you flip over to Romans uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, And the mind set on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is on the flesh is hostile for God to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And he's talking about who we are in our sin. We know from Ephesians chapter two, verse one, that we are dead in our sins. You will not understand the depths of the grace of God until you understand who you and I are or were without Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 3. We looked at this a number of weeks ago. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, there is none is righteous. No, not one. No one. Understands no one seeks for God, all have turned aside together and have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If we were to put this in the analogy of a war, we were not going out. And surrendering. We were not taking our, our little white uh, flags and waving them around and walking to God and saying, will you please do something now to end the war? We were living in rebellion. We were weak in our sins. Unable to save ourselves and completely entrapped and ensnared by the enslaving power of sin. We were ungodly. We wanted nothing to do with God. We reveled in that rebellion against God. And then it says, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians 4.4 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of the woman, born under the law. God is the one who took the initiative. God is the one who came up with this peace plan, if you will. God is the one who sent His one and only Son to die on the cross so that people could be saved, so that He could accomplish His purposes. Paul will go on and use a natural analogy that sometimes someone will die for a good person. Look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. I think the the understanding here that you need to to see in this passage is Paul is using a human analogy. And as he has been developing uh, his understanding in Scripture, there are generally two types of people. Those who are ungodly and unrighteous and those who receive a righteousness in Christ. And so then he says someone will scarcely die for a righteous person. And and you think someone who is morally upright or just or or in the right or has done no wrong. People will scarcely, maybe sometimes on very extremely rare occasions, die for someone in those circumstances. And then he kind of backs up a little bit and he says, though, perhaps perhaps for a good person, someone might die. And so I think the distinction here between righteous and good, you you think of someone who has accomplished a lot of things. They might not be the most moral person, but they've contributed a lot to society. They're an important benefactor. You think about how soldiers going off to war will often lay down their lives for others in their unit. And not because those people in the unit are better than them. But there's a camaraderie soldiers and you even think in in in, um, outside of the military, secret service people will lay down their lives for the president. The president might not be, uh, regardless of who it is at the time, might not be the most moral person, might not be the righteous person. But generally speaking, the presidents are good people. They have a lot to accomplish. They benefit the country so that we recognize inherently that that the life of a secret serviceman, as precious as that is, will not accomplish as much in the long term running of the country as the president will. And so these people that enter into those lines of work will on occasion, as called, lay down their lives for those in need. I think that's what Paul is drawing at here. Scarcely will someone die for a righteous person. You know, you typically don't just look at a moral person and say, hey, I'll die for you. But someone who's going to accomplish something, someone who's good, someone who has uh, conveyed a lot of benefits to society. Occasionally, more often, there are people that will occasionally say, yes, it's good to lay down our life for that good person. Think of all the good they can do. But the point in Paul drawing this out is No one sits there and says, here's this wretched, ungodly, wicked person, and I will sacrifice my life for them. I know sometimes it happens maybe in the movies where a prison guard will sacrifice his life for the criminal. But as a whole, as a whole, human nature, we say, if that person suffers and dies, they get what's coming to them. I'm not going to sacrifice my life for someone who's ungodly, someone who's unrighteous, someone who has walked in such horrible manner with their life, even though for a good person, we might occasionally do that. Paul is drawing out the analogy here. Who does this? Who lays down their life for the ungodly? When it comes to making peace in modern wars, we lay the guilt of the war, the blame on the person who started it, the country that started it. And they typically have to make some kind of reparations. There's a consequence for the war that they started. There's a price for peace. And the guilty party is the one that pays the price. And yet, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, when it comes to our great and mighty God and how He accomplishes salvation, God in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ pays the price for peace. Jesus Christ sheds His blood for the ungodly. And so we see in verse 5-8 that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But God shows His love for us in that. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. You take all that the Scripture says about what it means to be a sinner, that we are dead in our sins, that we are in rebellion against God, that we shake our fists at Him, that we are violating His holiness, that we are spitting on His name, and you see the love of God in that Christ died Wow, we were sinners like that. Each one of us. And it says Christ died for us. God did not wait until we were ready to to turn our lives around and then say, now I will help you with this process and show you My love. His love was not conditioned on us responding to Him. He was not standing there waiting and saying, you do something first, you throw up the white flag, and then I will jump in and do all the rest. We were sinners. We were at war. And God took all the necessary steps to reconcile a people unto Himself through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not do this because we were good. God did not love us because we were righteous. God did not look at us and say, these people have potential if I would just step in and do something for them. We were dead in our sins, in bondage. God didn't decide to invest in us. God didn't take a risk on us to see if we would become something. God initiated salvation. In the lives of the ungodly. By having Christ die for us. While we were sinners. Let me make an analogy. A human analogy. I enjoy chocolate chip cookies. I dare say uh, on my better days. I love chocolate chip cookies. And there is something in chocolate chip cookies. That compels me to love them. The taste. Uh, especially when they're my wife's homemade ones. You know, you get the good melted chocolate chips fresh out of the oven. The, the tender dough. There is something lovable about chocolate chip cookies. And if you don't love them, there is something wrong with you. I am sorry. May the Lord convict you in your sins. But there's something in the cookie. If I can make another analogy, your spouse, when you fell in love with them. You saw something in them that you liked. You saw something that they were going to maybe add some value to your life. You enjoyed being around them. Maybe they had traits that you were lacking. Maybe you had commonalities that you just fit so well together. Maybe they laughed at your jokes and no one has ever done that before. But something about them compelled you and you started to love them and that love grew. And that's, that's the way it works in, in human love. That's the way it should work in, in marriage. But when it comes to God, God did not see something in us that that compelled Him. God did not see some spark of goodness, some little light that if He could just fan that into flame, how wonderful we would be. God saw us as sinners and loved us. Yes, even as sinners, we still had remnants of the image of God and we were still uh, created by God. And so there was that creaturely care and compassion that he has for us. But there wasn't in those moments anything internal to us that should woo God's heart to us. We couldn't coax him along to love us more. We couldn't do something good to compel him to say, now I can die for you. God's love was out of the greatness of his character. It was a self-motivated love. Nothing in us compelled God to love us. God was compelled to love us by His own name, by His own character, and for His own glory. What motivated God to love us? God motivated God to love us. This is the, the grace of God. This is the overflowing of His love. That we would have nothing in us and that God would send Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Nothing inside of us contributes to the love that God has for us. We don't enhance God's well-being like you might enhance the well-being of your spouse. We don't make God's life better or more meaningful like you might make your spouse's life more meaningful. God loved you because He loved you. And He decided to have mercy and grace on you for the glory of His name. But He saves sinners. And He loves sinners. And He sends Christ to die for sinners. And accomplish a perfect salvation so that if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved, the scriptures say. Second, this morning, since God in Christ saved us while we were enemies, we can be assured of our future. So we are justified by Jesus's blood. We will be saved if we are justified by Jesus's blood. We will also be saved from the coming wrath. Look at verse nine. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from by him from the wrath of God. Some of your translations might say, how much more shall we be saved? It's a a rhetorical question. If you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, having been bought with the blood of Christ, having received the justification that comes through faith, where you have trusted in Him, and God declares you righteous because Christ paid for your sins and you've received forgiveness, the question is, how much more can you be sure that you'll be saved when the Lord returns? If you stand before God now by the blood of Christ, you can be confident that you will stand before God by the blood of Christ when He returns and He is judging the world. Again, look at Romans five: one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter three, flip back, you'll remember these verses as well. Romans three twenty-three to twenty-five. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are being justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. And we talked about that. Some translations will say atoning sacrifice. It means That Jesus Christ's blood was shed to pay for your sin. And propitiation means that the wrath of God for our sins was poured out on Jesus Christ and his blood covered that. If the wrath of God was paid for on the cross and you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and received the forgiveness of sins, how much more can you be sure? That there is no more wrath for your sin. You will go to heaven. You will not be judged as your sins deserve. You will not stand before God on the last day and say, God will not say to you, well, you know, I paid for all those sins that you did before you were saved, but you know, now let's look at the list that we have after you were saved. The blood of Christ pays for sin. Sin. And on the day of judgment, your confidence in standing there will not be what you have done. It will not even be, you will not even say to God, well, thank goodness I received by faith. You will say, praise God that Jesus Christ stands for me. His blood has propitiated the wrath of God. It is a satisfied wrath. There, there is no more wrath. Have you ever cleaned a stain off the wall? They have these new things. They're, they're, I think they're called the, I don't know, the, the magic things or whatever. They, they work like magic, but that, that's actually the name. They're like these scrub things. Uh, Mr. Clean, I think, makes them and they're these, these white, um, they look like a foam pad and, and it's amazing. You, you rub them on the wall or on the bathtub and and the bathtub becomes white. I dare say as white as snow. And, and the, the Mr. Clean pad uh, becomes darkened. But there's no more stains in that tub because Mr. Clean has washed them away. There is no more wrath for sin in your life. Because that sin was transferred over onto Jesus and Jesus Christ paid for it on the cross. If you are in a restaurant and someone pays for your dinner, you walk out of that restaurant confident that no one will hunt you down and ask for the bill. It is paid for. And the blood of Jesus Christ pays for your sin. And so as you look and you think about the coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say with confidence, I will go to heaven. There will not be wrath that awaits me. I will not be punished in hell. And brothers and sisters, be confident in that way. But don't let that confidence come from yourself. Don't get all, you know, Oh, thank goodness, and what I've done, and I've gone to church, and I've done these things, and I've trusted in Jesus, and, and I, 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 I. Be confident in Christ. You receive these things from Christ, but be confident in Christ and not your ability. This language, how much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? You think about how everything that God did for us while we were enemies? How can you not trust that He will continue to save you now that you are a child of God? If God did all these things for you while you were an enemy, how much more will He continue to do all these things now that He has adopted you into the family? If He sought you out while you were an enemy and He loved you with such great love unconditional love, self-motivated love that came from His character. How much more now that He has placed you in the family, now that He gives you this privilege to, to call Him Abba Father, can you say, God will not cut me off. The peace treaty will not be revoked because I have been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, Romans four twenty four says that Jesus was quote delivered up for our transgressions and raised for our justification. If I stand by the blood of Jesus Christ justified before God, how can wrath await me? And the answer is, it can't. It can't. Yes, you continue to walk by faith. All the days of your life. That's one of the marks of, of true saving grace of being a product in us. That we continue to grow and we continue to walk in these things. And, and we don't walk away from the faith fully and finally. But the surety of that is the work of Christ. God does work. All the work when it comes to salvation. And and what's fascinating about this passage is you see here the love of the Father. You see here the love of the Son as it says, Christ dies for the ungodly. You see here the work of the Holy Spirit as it said last week, that through the Holy Spirit, God's love is poured out into our hearts. Our wonderful and awesome triune God did all of these things for salvation. You and I contribute nothing. We don't merit it. There's nothing we do to to curry God's favor, to make Him love us more. We respond to His grace. If God saved you while you were an enemy, don't you think now that you have peace with Him, He'll finish the work? Look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we have been reconciled to God by the death of His Son, Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Again, it's a a rhetorical question. If his death did this much, don't you think his resurrection life will do even more? It's a reminder that we're not just saved by the death of Christ. We're saved by benefits that flow from the resurrection. That it really matters that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul has said, if Christ is not risen from the dead, we are still in our sins. And the point is, if the blood of Christ pays for your sin, how much more do good things await you because of the resurrection? You and I will share in Jesus' resurrection at the return of Christ. The Gospel is that while we were enemies, God reconciled us to Himself. You think of this word, reconcile, and we often use it for, for friends and family members. But, but when someone hurts us, someone close to us, and they disrupt or break a relationship, maybe we're mad, we're hurt, we're, we've been betrayed. Reconciliation, or when you reconcile, is when you go and make peace with them. In most scenarios in, in human life, both parties are at least to some degree, at fault. One may be a little more than others. One maybe a lot more than others. But but typically in human relationships, you know, there's enough blame to go around, we kind of say. So you go and you reconcile and you say, you know, I, I was wrong about something that I did here. And that person says to you, you know, I really wronged you and what you did uh, doesn't excuse what I did. And however the scenario, whatever the scenario was and however it plays out, the idea is in reconciliation, you make peace and the relationship is fixed. And family becomes family again. And friendships begin to grow and blossom again when there's, when there's genuine reconciliation. Uh, sometimes I think in, in our uh, world we think about forgiving others, and but we also forget that sometimes more than just forgiveness is needed, but, but reconciliation, a genuine coming to peace again where the relationship can move forward. And then you think about all that God did to reconcile us. And you think about all that we didn't do to reconcile to God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 says, "And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh, by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. So there's that beautiful picture in the book of Ephesians that Christ, the perfect husband, takes us along and washes us and cleanses us and gives us white robes to wear like a, a beautiful wedding dress in order to present us before God holy And blameless and at peace with God. You see, we were hostile in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions, doing evil deeds. But God, through His love, accomplished the salvation in the working of Jesus Christ. How much more now that you've been reconciled by that death, now that you have been bought with a price. How much more are just these, all these wonderful benefits that will come from Jesus' resurrection? If His death did that much, imagine what His resurrection does. We go to heaven. Not only that, but after the Lord returns and He creates the new heavens and the new earth, we get a resurrected body. We walk in the presence of God. We will be in the the heavenly kingdom and and there won't even need to be a son. S-U-N. Because the glory of God is radiating there. And, and we will just casually jaunt or saunter or whatever down the streets of gold, enjoying ourselves because of the life of Christ. If the death of Christ has already put you at peace, think of everything that awaits you as you will come to share in the life of Christ course, Paul will go on in Romans six and he will talk about us being alive in Christ now. And that gives implications for how we live and for how we walk. But the, the focus here is the future is secure. Why? Because Jesus Christ died for you. The future is secure. Why? Because Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you and I. His resurrection guarantees that the price of sin has been paid. His resurrection guarantees that those who are in Christ, that have a relationship, that have trusted Him by faith, there will be a final hope of a glorious body. And it will be awesome. And God will not take that away. Because you are at peace If you have received the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8 will pick up on this. And you can imagine all the hardships that the Roman church is going through and all the hardships that Paul is going through. And you can think of your own life and all the hardships that you go through. And sometimes you say to yourself, how do I know God is real? How do I know he's there? How do I know he's going to do what he promised he would do? Sometimes we have our own self-doubt. Sometimes we have our own sin. And, And not only are we rightly convicted by sin, but then we beat ourselves up even more and we say, I blew it. Why would God even save me now? We sort of think sometimes of salvation as God gave us our one shot to do it over. Sometimes we think of it like in golf, you know, where you get a mulligan. And and we think, if I can just do it again over the right time, the right way this time. And then we get going in our Christian life and and we we screw up, pardon my language, we sin, we we royally make a mess of it. And we feel the conviction, but then on top of that conviction, we we go back to that that man-centered way of thinking and we say, God gave me my one shot and I blew it with sin again. Now what is He going to do? Brothers and sisters, if he forgave you and made peace with you while you were an enemy, how much more do you think he's going to forgive you and love you now that you are a child of God? Is my sin serious? Yes, absolutely. Should I take it before the cross of Christ and confess it and and do what I need to do to make it right, particularly if I've, I've sinned against other human beings? Absolutely. We don't want to take sin casually and just be like, oh, well, God forgives it. Who cares? Whatever. I'll just do it again next week. At the same time, sometimes we wrongly beat ourselves up beyond what is genuine conviction. And you need to know, if God made peace with you while you were an enemy, trust that Christ forgives ongoing sin even now the believer will always struggle with sin in this life we hope it's a a growing process and it becomes less and less and that's just part of the fruit of the spirit working in us but you will never be in this life fully free from the presence of sin it's just a reality it's not to say that God is not powerful It's just to say that until you have the new resurrected body, you still live in a body of sinful desires. As much as we are liberated and freed from the slavery of sin, we aren't yet in this life freed from the presence of sin. And so sometimes that presence of sin bothers us rightly. But don't let it turn you from seeing the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Your salvation is secure not because of you, but because of Christ. Your salvation is guaranteed because of what Christ did. Because God sent forth his Son to be the propitiation. And if Christ's sin pays for the wrath of God, excuse me, if Christ's sacrifice pays for my sin, pays for the wrath of God, I won't have to pay for it. I won't have to suffer wrath because God showed his love for me. This is the part where, you know, we just it we got to rejoice. That's that's what Paul says next, right? Look at verse 3 verse 11. Let us rejoice that we've been reconciled to God. I'm not going to ask you to all just jump up and shout with applause, but but we gotta be excited about this. This is that language again of, of boasting. Of, of telling people that this is awesome. That, that this is amazing. Have you ever seen people when their sports team wins? I mean, if you were a Cubs fan when the Cubs won, those people went nuts. In a good way. But that was just over human things. Imagine how much more we should be when we think about the cross of Christ. That wasn't just winning the World Series for once in a hundred years. That was defeating sin for all time. Past sins, present sin, future sins, all on the cross of Christ. Even before your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents even existed, Christ died for sin. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus through whom we have now received reconciliation. We boast and rejoice in God and it's because of, it's through, it's by the means of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ died has accomplished this. Let me just give you three things this morning in terms of application. Number one, is your worship of God and the Lord Jesus Christ driven by the Gospel? Is is this fuel on the fire of worship? Is it stoking flames in your hearts to say, God really is awesome the more I come to know and understand what God has done in Christ, the more I should be driven to worship and to boast and to glory in Him alone. People that have the heritage like us of being Protestant or evangelical or or coming from the line of the Reformation, we have this wonderful phrase in Latin, sola Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. Why does God accomplish salvation? Why does God work out salvation the way that He does? One, because it's the only way that it can can be accomplished because of our sin. But two, He does it in such a way that God alone gets all the glory. And so in our worship, in our church life, in our daily Christian living, even in the way that we act on a Sunday... Do we give all the glory to God? Let us not be a people that kind of has one little corner of our Christian life that that we take the credit for. That maybe things that God is doing in this church, we say, wow, God is awesome. Thank goodness He's doing that. But then secretly or maybe even publicly, we kind of say, well, thank goodness we're doing something here. Let us give the credit To God, because God has done all the work in salvation. God gets the credit. And in our worship, not just what we say, but the way that we do it, does God get all the credit? Second, do I understand who I am apart from Christ or who I was without Him? Sometimes I think we avoid facing the reality of how bad our sins were. We were genuinely enemies. We were genuinely living in a rebellion. We were hostile, as Colossians chapter one says. And we have in our day and age a, a culture that is that is creeping into to the average Christian circles where where we tell people that they're basically good, where we minimize we say, Okay, yeah, you're a sinner and yeah, you need Jesus, but but you know you're 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 genuinely just a good person. Now most of you, I'm sure, even before you were saved, were were nice people you know you weren't running around being jerks to everybody but you were still sinners before God and that's the point of what we're saying we're not saying that you were as bad as you could possibly be not everyone is a Hitler humanly speaking before they're they're saved but but before God we were all in the same depths of open rebellion not too long ago, actually maybe a year ago now or so, there was a pastor on social media. And he just made the statement that, you know, tell your kids from a young age that they're, they're sinners and separated from Christ and they, they need God. And I think he even said, you know, tell them they're wretched. And, and he meant that very clearly within the context of we are sinners. And people just dogpiled on him. What is that going to do to their self-esteem? What is that going to do to their self-worth? What is that going to do to who they think they are? I'm not saying you verbally abuse your kids and neither was this pastor. But we're all sinners. We need to grasp that. And even as people who were originally in Adam and Eve made in the image of God, our sin separates us from God. Our kids, as, as cute as they are, cannot merit the grace of God by giggling and smiling as babies. But God gives grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you might remember the old um, Saturday Night Live sketch. with uh, Now it's, he's Senator Al Franken, but it was then Al Franken. And he had this character, Stuart Smalley. And Stuart was a self-help coach, a, a kind of counselor. And, and he would stand and look in the mirror and he would say, and he had just a goofy voice about it, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. And sometimes I think that's how we treat ourselves in our relationship with God. We, we ask ourselves, why does God love me? And we, we can pat ourselves on the back. I'm, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it people love me there's something lovable about me i'm a nice guy i'm a nice gal wouldn't god why wouldn't god want me in the kingdom think of all i can do for him why does god love you there's nothing in you or i which causes god to love you or me god loves us while we are still sinners And sends Christ. And Christ dies for us. And accomplishes a perfect sacrifice for sin. That's the Gospel. That we are sinners. And God loved us. And we were not lovable. God didn't look ahead and see all the potential that we had. Or or look down through the tunnel of time and see all the good that we could do. If He would just kind of spark that fire in us. God took us from being wretched and saved us and put us at peace with Him. And that is the Gospel. And that's why God gets all the credit. And may we be a people who are amazed by the grace of God that Christ should die for us while we were sinners. That God should love us and bring grace into our hearts and lives while we were hostile. That God changed your heart. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the goodness of the riches of the mercy that you have shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that even though we were enemies, you saved us and you died for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or Jesus Christ died for us on the cross. And then you sent your Holy Spirit into our hearts. To change them. To open our eyes. To to draw us to you. We thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the peace that we have. and We thank you for the certainty. That we will not face any coming judgment or wrath. Because Christ's work has paid it all. All to him we owe. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.